You can see those different facets of your personality popping out at different times. Ours just happens to be integrated where theirs is segmented because it is hard to understand. It's so complex. Um, there's so much stigma surrounding it. In this first episode, we're giving them little tidbits of a much bigger puzzle. We're bringing our audience member back to a moment in their childhood. There's a piece of information in this that you missed. And we're trying to make this feel like it's gone with them. What would it feel like to- They felt like they were a child again. Excited over like carrots and ranch. My name is Lindsay Scoggin. And I'm Danielle Levesque. The seventh theory is- One-on-one -on -one audience member experience. Founded and interesting and complex and just really explores how kind of beautiful and complex the human mind is. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. Welcome. We are off and running. So, Lindsay, Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, thanks, thanks for, having for having us. Thanks for coming on, you guys. Um, oh, and of course, just so our listeners know who is who, could you potentially start off by just saying your name and uh, a little bit about what you do so people can identify you by voice? Yeah, definitely. Um, my name is Lindsay Scoggin. I'm the founder of Coact Productions. Um, I serve as the creative director. And yeah. Wonderful. Um, and I'm Danielle Levesque, and I help co-produce Lindsay's projects as well as art direct the sets and the environments. Wonderful, wonderful. So moving from there, if you guys had to choose individually a fictional or fantasy world that you would want to live in and play some kind of role in or just visit for a week or two, what comes to mind? So for me, um, to be honest, I jumped on the Game of Thrones bandwagon a little bit late. So um, <laughs> I finally just binge watched the entire series and I'm a little obsessed with it right now. So I think I would love to visit that place as um, dark as it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. And like dark where all the chaos is happening, but it's like has this texture of authenticity in it as a result of that, which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Those characters are so grounded and interesting and complex. And um, I love that there's just that hint of magic in the world where it feels real, but but then it has these really exceptional moments of bringing you into that magical realm as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to be said for that magical realism there and, and the way that it's deployed and everywhere from Game of Thrones to like old school Gabriel Garcia Marquez and everything in that ethos. Yeah. And I, and, I, and also maybe it's because I've worked on some spy productions as well. It's this whole like um, idea of having these empires pitted against each other. So I, I find that part really fascinating as well. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. All right. And what about you, Danielle? Well, for me, um, it's really the environment and the space and everything you can feel and play with. And I think what's inspired me the most as like a young person getting into both the film industry and the immersive theater world is the movie Beetlejuice. Ah, uh, yes. And, <laughs> oh, and yeah. And so, I mean, I'm both interested in the house and how it changes from the Maitland's house to 
Lydia and Delia's artistic modern world, but I'm also very much intrigued in like the Sandman world or the Sandworm world, <clears throat> as well as the um, the model of the town that Beetlejuice lives in. I would love to spend a week in there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So I have to ask, out of curiosity, are you familiar with Dune at all? Yes. <laughs> Do you know which came first? Because I've always wondered about that. As far as Dune or Beetlejuice? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, which Dune, inspired the Dune. other? Okay, okay. Yeah. My timeline's way off, but that, that makes a lot of <laughs> sense. <laughs> all right, so... What is what is the severance theory? Um, the severance theory is a one person um, immersive theater experience where we cast the audience member as the lead role of this story. Um, it explores mental illness, specifically dissociative identity disorder, and just really explores how kind of beautiful and complex the human mind is. That sounds absolutely incredible. Now, I'm. Um, very curious why you chose to go with dissociative identity disorder versus any other form of uh, mental illness slash neurological diversity. Oh, yes. Well, um, <laughs> the way that actually stemmed about was, I mean, I mean, my my interest in that actually had nothing to do with, oh, I want to do a show on mental illness. Let me find one to do it on. It was actually, um, I was just scanning through YouTube and came across all these videos of people who had dissociative identity disorder sharing their story. And what was so fascinating to me about it was, well, I mean, one, the kind of phenomenons that happen within the disorder and just that, I think, from an outside perspective, we can look at something like that and be really freaked out by it because it is hard to understand. It's so complex and um, there's so much stigma surrounding it. And when I'm listening to their stories and their experiences and how the disorder actually works, I just found it to be so beautiful in a way and misunderstood. So it ended up being that I, I had a different idea for a show that was based off of that. And then um, Peyton, who was also a producer and a writer and performer on um, in the respite, um, he had an idea for Welcome to Respite, which would be a child going through, uh, like kind of re reliving a childhood memory, um, which started out very different than what it turned into. But we ended up being like, well, these ideas actually meld up really well. But yeah, it never started as that, oh, let's do a show on mental illness. It was just <laughs> that I happened to come across that and just found it so interesting. Yeah, most definitely. And I guess that kind of <laughs> shows me for Re doing maybe too much research beforehand and misreading something, as they say, you cannot believe everything that you read on the internet. Um, but moving from there, um, that, okay. So I should preface for context. I was particularly fascinated and intrigued by the concept of the severance theory because I personally have actually a couple friends in the past who, um, had slash have dissociative identity disorder. Um, oh, no kidding. And so the idea of placing that into a narrative and not only that, but putting the main character into the shoes of someone who is contending with that, like, how do you demonstrate that, um, that to a character rather than through various actors? Right. Um, so in our research, we found that there were these very specific symptoms that people were having, um, whether it was amnesia or hearing the voices in their head of their alternate personalities, um, the way that they communicate with each other, the different types of alters there are. And 
Um, because it is a four-part series, we knew that we didn't have to hit all of those right at once. And of course, because it is entertainment and it is a theatrical experience, and because you don't actually have the disorder, um, we do have to use some like theatrical elements to be able to portray that. And so um, I, we certainly are no experts, but um, <laughs> we, we did want to be able to simulate it in some sort of way. Um, and part of that was creating these altars that we could create these relationships with um, as the audience member and ha having tactics, um, whether it's audio or lighting or stuff like that, that insinuate certain things. We found that because the disorder itself, there there's a lot of it has to do with these amnesic qualities that go along with it, depending on which altar is in the body. Um, that it actually lended itself really well to this experience because these things that you come in as an audience member not knowing make perfect sense within the story. If your mother asks you a question about don't don't you remember this and you're like uh, no tell me she's like oh um, okay well and um, yeah I think our our main tactic in this opening chapter was to establish that you are not the only one living within your body and to kind of, I think also we, we took this approach of kind of making it more empathetic. Like what would it feel like to have that disorder as a child? Like these symptoms could be wildly confusing for somebody and isolating and what would the people around them react like? So some of it has to do with how are the parents reacting to the child? Um, yeah. And, and how do you recreate this moment of, this isolation that they might feel in a certain moment, you know? Certainly, certainly. And I think that it, it's a really interesting way to approach the idea of identity, which in, in the course of my learning about dissociative identity disorder, I also kind of came across the concept that identity in and of itself is a far more fluid thing than we often realize or understand. And I feel like that as a concept is something that displays itself. Um, throughout immersive theater because of the way that people, you know, the way that people can discover a part of themselves that they didn't know necessarily existed or like the way that they would interact to a situation through immersive theater. And oftentimes in this really incredible and positive way. And the idea of using something that, you know, maybe people don't have a really cohesive or developed understanding of, but have some idea of what it is in a way to introduce a conversation about identity, I think is really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that fascinated me so much when I was also um, learning and reading about this disorder and hearing about other people's experiences and living with it was that it's almost relatable in a way. Um, they have these parts of themselves that are broken away and I found that like even looking in my own history and dealing with any kind of um, mental health things in my own past and everything that I've very much felt dissociated at times. And um, though obviously in their disorder that it's, it's much more clear than it would be in a regular or in a person that, that does not have the disorder. Um, you can see those different facets of your personality popping out at different times. Ours just happens to be integrated where theirs is segmented. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And, and then, of course, getting to, like like you said, an immersive theater, kind of getting to step into that role of something else and re reacting as if it's actually happening to you, because it is, 
um, you get to learn something about yourself every time. And that part's really cool. Yeah, most certainly, most certainly. And we really do in whatever context, you know, have different identities to some degree, just insofar as like, oh, well, you know, we play this given role when we are at work versus, you know, being a parent or being a friend, what have you. And those things can look really, really different exploring that. Yeah. Again, through that lens is quite, quite curious. Um, so I guess on that note, is there anything in particular that you're wanting to see audience members walk away with or any particular why or key narrative, key, key dramatic question um, that underpins the show? <laughs> I think this is Danielle's favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we absolutely wanted the audience to walk away with a little bit more of kind of a not necessarily understanding we actually didn't want them to come out of the show fully understanding what we wanted was them to have a little bit of, um, um, gosh, the words escaping me. Um, just, I guess, curiosity, I guess a little bit of empathy towards people who are going through things like this. Um, but really we wanted to haunt people. We wanted people to come out feeling like they are not alone and we where are they going with this? And is it following them? And I think we did a really good job actually of making our audience feel like they left with a piece of what they just experienced, both through experiencing it themselves, but then also we continued to we emailed them after the show with little teasers and things like that. And we're trying to make this feel like it's gone with them. They're now living with this. They're realizing now as adults, that they went through something in their childhood that they are putting together. Right. We very much wanted to have this idea that we're, we're in this first episode, we're giving them little tidbits of a much bigger puzzle that they have to eventually be able to put together. And that's really what the series is about is this journey of kind of dissecting your past and healing from the trauma that you, you um, experienced and um, of course, we we don't necessarily want to focus on what the trauma was, um, but intrinsically, we 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 all experience trauma of our own. And I think like this, like having DID is the backdrop of this story. And because it is a very clear story of something that happened to our main character, who is Alex, um, just leaving these puzzle pieces is allowing them to be curious about, well, what happens next? And the story unfolds for them in further episodes until they can get to a place of healing. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly what happens next. Um, so speaking to what happens next, do you bring people on with the assumption, of course, the hope with the assumption that everybody will come and see the next three parts or how do you negotiate the fact that you might have new audience members who didn't see part one coming into part two, three, four? Yeah, I mean, we absolutely think that by seeing all four, that you'll be able to get a more comprehensive idea of what the story of Alex really is. Um, we are completely aware that we may have people coming in that they missed the first chapter and they're going into the second chapter knowing nothing. But much like the way that we designed Welcome to Respite, the goal is that they don't need to know 
that specific memory to be able to catch on to the story. They should still be able to latch on to, we're still having to set up this narrative of you have this disorder. This is the situation you're in and you're just reliving this specific memory because there's, there's a piece of information in this that you missed. And um, I think by kind of taking that structure to it, that each and every time people don't need to know what happened in chapter one in order to be able to re-experience another memory of Alex in chapter two. Certainly, certainly. Um, and it almost kind of the, the quote that comes to mind and I'm blanking on the attribution right now, but it's, uh, do I contradict myself? I do. I am multitudes. And it's the idea that you can actually use the fact that people just naturally contradict themselves and even more so in extenuating circumstances to make a cohesive storyline, no matter how people are jumping into it. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so how did Coact um, come to be? What is kind of your origin story there? Um, so, I actually started in the immersive industry, um, helping companies build more narrative into their escape rooms. Um, I didn't do that for too long. I just didn't know how to jump right into immersive theater, and I needed more experience. Um, and then I got a job working with Spy Brunch on Safe House seventy seven, and um, I had been wanting to have my own company so that I could just create the the work that I wanted to, you know? Um, and then I, I actually made a posting and was looking for somebody who also wanted that same thing. And um, that's actually, actually how I met Danielle. And um, do you, do you want to tell our meeting story? <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't go much further beyond that. She did, she posted, um, that she was looking for a collaborator on, I think it was like the no proscenium slack. And I just reached out and I was like, I've got this idea, man. And I need somebody who's, you know, produced something to, to like jump on board with me and walk me through this process. Cause I've been a, a super duper huge immersive fan for years. Um, but never had done anything before, um, myself. So, um, what I was bringing to the table was kind of more of like a, commercial uh movie set vibe coming from the film industry um and just really wanted to dive into more of one-on-one -on -one audience member experiencing our our worlds and we just yeah we got together and i pitched her my idea and she actually Lindsay actually had an idea that she had been melding on for a little while and she was like i want to drop what i'm working on and just let's focus on your <laughs> idea and, Very much and, so. and, that, and that was for the sideshow Right, right. Yeah, our first show last year. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. It sounds like that is a particularly potent combination of skill sets and backgrounds there. Um, so I wonder if now might be a decent time to jump into the Make It Immersive segment. You guys down? Okay. Yeah, sure. let's do it. And so we certainly have the option to just select one, but at the same time, both Game of Thrones and Beetlejuice would be so much fun to explore. So if you guys are down, I kind of want to touch on both a little bit. Okay, but I mean, if you just want to do Beetlejuice, I'm down for that too. That was a pretty cool one. Right, right. Well, um, <laughs> let's start with that. So working with Beetlejuice, what 
what would it look like to kind of create that world as an immersive experience? Or how would you approach going about that? What kind of narrative would you weave into that particular universe? Oh man, there's so many elements to that. Um, I, I mean, think I, it would I have to be, sorry, you go ahead, Lynn. Oh, um, no, uh, well, I was just gonna say that my first thought is we would have to decide first if, if I'm, I'm assuming the audience would take the role of Winona Ryder in that. Okay, okay. That's exactly where I was going. <laughs> Yeah, that would be the like <clears throat> the perfect the perfect place to cast an audience member there too, like mm-hmm. right between the two worlds and able to interact with both to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah there's there's so many different kinds of scenes in there. It's been so long since I've watched that movie. Um, but certainly environmentally it's fun, as you said, Danielle. But also there's this like creepy undertone but they almost like normalize it like there's <laughs> it's very um kind of an abstract family not abstract that's not the right word very unique very unique characters in that but um god i'm not even sure there's so many places to start i think what i would do um is i would cr- i would cast the audience member as a newly deceased and you would probably start in the waiting room of the afterlife oh, and maybe yes. get a and maybe get a ticket and maybe Beetlejuice shows up and he tries to swap out your ticket because he's got like number five million seven hundred eighty three thousand blah blah blah. And maybe then from there he takes you to his, you know, girls, girls, girls part of his little world on the model. And you're, you know, you're walking on rubber grass and it's huge blades of grass and you go to his, you know, maybe you visit his space and there's some kind of story within that world. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. And I can imagine just like a whole different narrative track opening up. If the person did wind up letting themselves be coerced by Beetlejuice and giving him the ticket and then suddenly being spiraled off into a whole different storyline or something of that nature, though I can imagine that'd be logistically, logistically hefty there. It would, but totally doable. Yeah. Yeah. And starting in that waiting room, like, oh, I cannot imagine a better place to start onboarding, especially because like for the most (laughs) part, everybody knows what Beetlejuice is. So it's like they I feel like an audience or an audience would be very able to just jump into that and be like, all right, I know how this works to some degree. (laughs) You you know, you know, just walking through that brick wall that you are deceased and that's right there. You're already in the story. Yeah. Um, all right. So do you guys want to vamp on that for a little bit longer or would you like to shift to game of Thrones? I am game for either. Um, we can, we can shift. Yeah, sure. So I'm curious specifically about your mentioning the idea of having these kind of bigger forces, these social structures and maybe nation states or things of that scale at play. Like how, how does that wind up becoming displayed in something like that. Yeah. Cause not wanting to put too much pressure onto the audience to play like this, like the leader in that situation. I think it's always fun um, to have, you know, in, in much storytelling, they, um, 
the hero of the story always starts out as the underdog. And, and I wonder if the audience member could be in that position where maybe they are the hand of the queen or something like that, where there's this obviously corrupt and manipulative person um, with questionable ethics <laughs> telling you what to do. And, um, and then eventually they have, they have their downfall because um, being, being the target queen or king um, as, as we know, everybody dies in game of Thrones. So that person would obviously have to die off to let the audience member rise into their, <laughs> into their, their full form. Role. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be a great way to access that because I mean like the hero's journey is suited for onboarding in so many ways being starting as an underdog or starting as, you know, hero has a problem, encounters a guide, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um Yeah, definitely. And and again, because there is this kind of these magical nuances to the world of Game of Thrones that um that would be very fun to play with whether it's the dark magic or creatures that I don't know how we would do creatures, um, but having that as like a tool in their back pocket. And I, th I think something that's interesting too, in those situations where you're dealing with like a character that you has, has these questionable morals is that you kind of decide for yourself who you think they really are. It's never black and white. There's good parts of them. Even if you look at Cersei Lannister, she obviously is dynamic though. She is the, e she's, shown as like the evil person in the show. She also has so much love for her children and everything. And she's not all bad and nobody is all bad. And, um, I think it's, it's really fun and an immersive show to like meet these characters that are within that gray area. And so for you to get to know the people and characters within this immersive world and have these conversations with them and get to really know them in their vulnerability, like maybe you do end up siding with the wrong person and make this wrong choice and something terrible happens because of that choice you made. Right, right. Yeah, Applying. exactly. I was just going to say it absolutely lends itself to multiple tracks, depending on who you choose to trust and go with and follow. Yeah. Yeah. You have the political dynamic already immediately implied. It's like, I think that's something that's really, really fun to play with, but I, I think would also be potentially kind of tricky to execute on too, like negotiating that political scene and then putting someone in a place where they have the tools to negotiate it, but also mm. like, like you don't have the ask being too high from an audience member there. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's a balance between having something feel real and having it also be fun because there's certain topics that it's like, um, I mean, it takes education to kind of be able to make certain decisions or you have uh, in order to make it feel real. There's all this kind of dry material you have to throw out there as well. And it would be finding this balance of making that feel real, but also in making it fun, because at the end of the day, it is entertainment. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And, and I think when it comes to that kind of thing, that that's just building interesting characters and not relying on the audience to. It's, it's like, though there is this like political game that they're playing there, that that's not necessarily the experience of the story. The experience is um, building these relationships with these people you otherwise would not be able to. Yeah, yeah. And again, building relationships over the course of time, it also then introduced the idea of seeing a uh, multiple show narrative there potentially being a good way to go there. Mm -hmm. Um. So from larger forces at play and 
bringing people into worlds that they're comfortable with, but also, you know, questioning potentially heavier topics. The whole gamut is run, has been run um, or touched on in this conversation thus far. What what do you guys see as the value of play? The value of play yeah. in general or within a show? <clears throat> within a show. I mean, it's incredibly valuable, valuable, um, especially in uh, Welcome to Respite, our latest show. Um, you know, we're bringing we're bringing our audience member back to a moment in their childhood. And it was very important that they felt like they were a child again and they were able to just talk with their mom about where, what are they going to do tomorrow? Are they going to go to the playground? What, what do you want to play? What are your favorite? Like, just like going through your own memories and remember what it was like to let go and to play. Um, and we wanted to give them, you know, some agency as to, you know, what, where the direction of the conversation went, what, what even they got to snack on um, and just make sure that they, they feel like they were a child again. I mean, and that's like a very literal version of play. Um, I'm not sure if that's exactly what you meant by your question, but to us, we wanted to, we wanted, we just really wanted to know. And really fascinating is that we saw adults regressing into child childhood behaviors almost instantly in almost every show. Oh, that's fascinating. And it was such a blast to just listen in. It was such a blast to just listen in and hear, and hear these adults like answer with like, some shyness or, or boisterously and get excited over like carrots and ranch. And like, you know, there's just, and then the way they responded and it was just very sweet and humbling and really a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think something that we did learn for that in terms of the value of play is that it allowed people to release kind of the pressures of, adulthood, not in the same way that escapism does it, but to really get their mind in this place of letting go of things and just being in the moment. And I think in a world where we are so focused on, you know, our phones, our computers, getting work done, adulting, all of that kind of stuff, like being able to just for a moment, remember that life is really about these connections that we build and the experiences that we have. I think that's an unbelievable opportunity to have. And um, as Danielle said, like in Welcome to Respite, we just got to see that happen so clearly and strongly that it, it was really almost inspiring for us to, for each and every Alex that came through there um, to just watch that transformation happen and see them really absorb the experience that was happening to them and let go of the real world. Yeah. And truly like to, to piggyback on what you're saying, Lindsay, um, you know, ex escapism is kind of, you know, back since the depression era, escapism has been going to the theater, going to the movies and kind of not worrying about yourself and your problems and just being in this world for an hour, an hour and a half. And I think what really, speaks to Lindsay and I both is putting, putting audiences physically into that movie, into that scene, into that emotion, into that character. And so, I mean, there's nothing but play when you think about it in that way. Yeah, certainly. So am I correct in saying you sold out all or the majority of your first run there or the run of the first show there? Yeah, it was sold out completely. Yeah. 
so clearly people resonated with that, the idea of the show and the idea of being put into, into that world. What like were some of the more surprising things that you saw from audience members? Obviously like without getting too detailed, just saying like, I know that there's only so much that you can say about the inside of the show, but I know that you had mentioned that you had seen some things that you weren't expecting and an unexpected amount of resonance from the audience, which you touched on a bit. And I'm just curious if there's, there's anything else in particular that popped out. (laughs) I mean, just the amount that they let go and allowed themselves to take on this role in it of itself was just mind blowing and very cute at times and very hilarious at other times. Um, In, in, in respite, they are to, except that these two people that they've never met are their parents and watching those relationships build was very beautiful. And the way, the way they reacted to the sentimental moments, as well as these moments of feeling confused and isolated were just over the top. And I love it. Um, (laughs) um, Also, I think something that was really interesting is that we did have a few people come through that um, messaged us afterwards and had either worked with patients who had the disorder and felt that they could be more empathetic towards somebody in that position. Because like I said, it is confusing Um, without much of an understanding about what that person is actually going through. It can feel kind of freaky and intimidating. Um, And to know that it actually helped people in a really real way like that um, was really meaningful for us that we were able to create art that taught something to people that they could go out in the real world and apply in their own work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, uh, Danielle, I was curious. You said, or I thought I'd heard you, um, start to answer there as well. Not to put you on the spot. (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 that's okay. I was going to say, you know, we had, we had the gamut. We had people who just kind of quietly nodded and accepted anything and everything that mom and dad were telling you all the way to like, you know, women in their like fifties as audience members coming in and, you know, every time dad started singing or doing something fun and loud and boisterous being, being like, Oh dad, you're so embarrassing. (laughs) Just like reacting like a kid. It was just, it was just so much fun. That that's really incredible. And the fact that you could have people jumping into this role as a child, like really getting into that, but at the same time, also having people walking away with things that just, you know, maybe magnified empathy or had some impact on the real world. Like that just sounds like the, the exact thing that one looks for when out of an experience or creating an experience on either side. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We couldn't have asked, we couldn't have asked for a, a better response. Honestly, it's exactly what we hoped and what we put into it. We were shocked by how much people picked up on the small nuances and just resonated completely. Yeah. So when is the next part coming out? Do you guys have a date or a rough time area um, that people can look forward to? Well, we don't have an exact date yet. Um, Obviously, just based off of what we've learned from this first one, we really want to be careful in where we take the story and make sure that we're hitting all the right parts of all these seeds that we've planted, making sure that it's meaningful when we do the second one. um, although we do have an idea of where we want it to go, um, we are hoping to get that up in 
at the beginning of the year. Um, though I don't want to throw out any like dates at all to <laughs> give people hope in case we ended up uh, doing it a little bit later on. But um, certainly sometime within the first, we'll say six months of the year, hopefully sooner than that. Um, <coughs> we do plan on remounting chapter one in the meantime to allow more people to experience chapter one before we do move on to chapter two. So there'll be that. Oh, that's good. That's good. I know that, um, there are probably quite a few folks out there who having heard about it through whatever channel, whatever means are hopeful to get a chance to experience the first part there. Um, yeah, definitely. I know, I know there was some hesitancy though. We, though we did sell out, there was some hesitancy. I think people were a little nervous about it being about a mental illness. Um, it does have some dark undertones to it. It does deal with trauma and all of that. And I think, um, there were some people that were a little iffy on what we might do with that. Um, and hopefully that it's been clarified since then that we're obviously approaching this in a very respectful way that it's a story about healing and, um, it's much, much more about this, the human connection, the human mind, and that it's, it's not going to be as scary being the main character of this story as they thought it might be. So I think those people will, will be eager to jump on the, the next round of shows. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. And I think, I think we also saw early, early on in ticket sales, although it didn't last, um, that people were also a little bit concerned of being a solo audience member, worried about the pressure that might be put on them to act as a, in a role. And luckily people brushed that off and bought tickets and came because that ended up being what was so special about this show is that you were as the audience member, the main character. And I think it really put a certain perspective and ex an experiential, you know, impact on an audience member to have it happen to you directly. I mean, everyone's favorite part of an immersive show when it's in a group format is when you're pulled to the side and you have your one-on-one. -on -one. So, you know, to have an entire 30 minute show that is a one-on-one -on -one just to us seemed like a no brainer, but we did, we did come to the realization that some people are definitely, definitely nervous about um, the level of uh, the pressure that might be put on them to you answer and come up with, you know, answers to stories and memories and things. And I think we did a really good job of um, filling in blanks for people and not making them feel too pressured and, you know, relied upon. Certainly. And all right. So we are getting a little close on time here. So I do just have one more specific question before we begin to wrap up and discuss where people can find your work and wave hi, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I'm curious because immersion, immersive theater, immersive experience overall is so tricky to explain to people or can be tricky to explain to people and then potentially even more so to a degree um, because of the context of uh, the severance theory. Um, how, what was that process like insofar as kind of explaining people to explaining to people what it was and like kind of overcoming concerns? Was it just a matter of talking to them or what, what was the explanation process like there? I'm curious. Yeah. At first we tried to be fairly mysterious and vague about it. And we came to this realization that people were going to need to know more 
to feel comfortable stepping into this experience and trusting us with that. So um, we did end up putting out some interviews, just dissecting what the severance theory was and what the disorder was and what our goals were around that. Um, That was kind of a key part in explaining what it is. Um, We primarily market anyways to people who already know what immersive theater is. So that's not always an obstacle with that crowd. Um, Right, right. Yeah, I'm not sure with this one that we even attempted to market towards just a general crowd or like a theater market. Um, it was primarily the haunt and the immersive theater. So um, when when trying to explain it to other people, I do say um, instead of watching a TV show, you get to step into this TV show and experience it for yourself. You get to be within the environment. Um, you get to taste, you get to smell, you get to hear and feel exactly what those characters would be feeling instead of just watching somebody else do it. And that tends to help people understand a little bit more, though it's still a very hard thing to explain, especially in terms of quality, what that is like to actually go into an experience. Um, And because it is so different with any company that you go to, um, a lot of people just think immersive is a murder mystery party or an escape room. And um, obviously it can be so much more complex than that, but um, I always just try to tell people, yeah, you got to experience it for yourself at least once. At least you'll know. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And I, I have to wonder if it's, there's a big enough commu- immersive community out there in LA that yeah. there are more people who already, who already know, who need a little bit less explanation, certainly. Yeah, definitely. We're very lucky yeah. in that way to be producing in Los Angeles. Our community here is so strong and supportive, and we love them very, very much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. All right, so where can where can people find you guys? Um, directly, you can go to www.coactproductions.com. Um, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, Coact Productions. And yeah, um, if you would like information on any ticket sales or upcoming events or deals or anything, you can sign up on our website for the newsletter and we will be sending things out soon. Yes, yes. Go and sign up for the newsletter. Stay up to date with what these guys are working on across the board. It has been agreed upon and words have been exchanged throughout the immersive community that the work that you guys are doing is quite incredible. Um, Oh, thank you. So to anybody who's listening, oh, thanks so much. Definitely, definitely go and make sure that you're keeping up with what the phenomenal team at Coact is working on. Um, and of course, uh, the aforementioned links and everything that we have talked about in the show can be found on our website at immersionnation.com/podcast for those who do want to sponsor their curiosity in that way. And of course, and as always, thank you for listening. Calling all immersive adventurers, explorers, connoisseurs, and artists. The immersive revolution is just beginning. All that is to say, we would love any feedback that you might have on the show. What do you want to hear more of, less of? Anyone in particular you'd like us to have on the show? I would love to hear your thoughts. So please rate us, review us, or just drop us a line on the website at immersionnation.com. I always love having conversations about this wide and wild world that we are both living in and creating. Once again, this is the Emergent Nation podcast. Thank you for joining us in this adventure.